Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Immaculate Mary, your praises we sing. Yeah? You reign down in splendor with Jesus no, no, our no, King. On. This is a common mistake you just made. She doesn't rain down. She reigns now in splendor. She reigns now in splendor. No, she doesn't rain down. It's rain down. It'd be weird for her to rain down. Well, I don't know. I'm going to get into the poetry, so maybe not, <laughs> not that weird. Um, what's up, man? This is Father Mike, and I'm here with Father Sean. Here I am. Um, we just went for a bike ride today. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was... Um, was today 11-6, November 6. It was a high of like 68, or did it even get up to 70 today? I'm not sure, but it was a beautiful day. But not a little bit chilly when we started, but... It was cold in the morning. But, but otherwise, it was just right. When you bike 100 miles, you're going to get all types of weather. That's just right. It was great. I showed up, I showed up and met... Uh, Father Sean and this famous Red, who I have never met before. Oh, you never met him? I would have introduced Red you. Red has been around for years in Red all of Braz. the pictures, in all of the legends. He is the biker extraordinaire, the, the best Catholic dude in Denver. He moved to it, but he was just a fantastic fella, and I had never met him. So I roll up. And I almost go over my front bars. That was <laughs> Sque- hilarious. Squeezing on the front bars. That was hilarious. Hard. It was like, was awesome. you know, I was trying to look like, all cool. Hey, I'm I Father doing, Mike. I was doing a pound and I went right in. That was awesome. Super cool, man. Super cool. That's right. Artie Braz, he bikes for the team Groove Subaru. He does? Um, Groove Subaru Cyclist. Or I, I, could know, tell. I could tell, like, he was. He was nice mm-hmm. instead of judging me. Yeah, he's, <laughs> I was he's like, kind. Kind of winded and like getting a slow start. He's a great cyclist. Yeah, but he, oh yeah, strong, nice man. Most yep. of the time. So then we rode around town, and uh, the paths were great shape. We had a great lunch at that sandwich place. That sandwich place in Golden. D Deli. Do you know that? Oh, D Deli is the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Golden, Colorado. Did you ever see the movie American Flyer? I haven't, no. Oh, man. You have got to see this movie. It's, um, I don't think it's Kevin Costner. Who is it? Oh, no. Maybe. Anyway, it's about two brothers who are uh, racing, cyclers, cy- cycle racing mm-hmm. at a Golden with the um, this famous race called Hell of the West. Hmm. And it's so dramatic about their racing. It's almost like a Rocky film, mm-hmm. but with cycling. And I sat here with Father Brian, and it was fantastic. It, it changed my life. Have you ever seen uh, Jurassic Park by chance? Um, I have. I've seen maybe all of them. How many are there? Mm. Three, four? I mean, they, I think there's the three, and then they've done some like remakes and whatnot now. Oh, yeah. There's probably recent ones. I saw... That first one was so exciting. I can't remember how old I was, but it was super, super cool because the special effects, mm. the thrill, the idea. And the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs. The the idea of like going out to a, an island filled with dinosaurs. And uh, and then, oh, that's right. We read in uh, in senior year of high school, I took a literature and film class and we read stories that were adapted to film and mm-hmm. Jurassic Park was one of them. No kidding. Yeah, it's a really great read. Michael so Crichton. So wait, a story adapted from a film? To a film. Yeah, yeah. Michael so the, Crichton. He, so the book was first. Right. Mm. Right. Those are usually better. Yeah, I mean, they did but they did a great job. I mean, you take a book, you can mess it up. True. And they did a fantastic wow. 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 <laughs> and then we found some fun facts tonight. Morgan Rogers knows everything about dinosaurs and more. Like literally everything. She named like these dinosaurs that I'm pretty sure are fake, but she goes, and then like I said, the Brontosaurus, and she goes, no, that's a fake dinosaur. I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) What's wrong with my childhood? That's right. That's the only one I know. (laughs) And it's fake. What if she said that the, the, the velociraptors in the movie. Right. So everyone thinks it's a T-Rex, but T-Rex is apparently like dog size. 
in the movie Jurassic Park, it's the Velociraptor, but it's actually not a Velociraptor. It's a Deinonychus. Deinonychus. Dynamicus. 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 No, I thought it was Dichotomous. <laughs> it could be dichotomy. Or maybe it is um, It's a different one. It's actually not the it is. It is Dynamicus. I think that's Di- right. It has dino in it. Yeah. Oh, so then it's Dynamicus. You're right. Okay. Dinocus. But I mean, I feel like I've learned. I feel like I've learned everything. Yeah, it's wild. And like even stars, like the North Star. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about that. Okay. But we did learn that sharks are older than any other thing in the world. I mean, this is coming from an... What? A shark expert. A shark expert. Morgan is a shark expert. No, she's a dinosaur expert. She's not a shark expert. Well, they're close. They're old. <clears throat> she said that sharks, um, sharks are 450 million years old. So they're older than most um, animals. And older than the North Star, apparently. Okay, fine. <laughs> we it. said it. Because I didn't believe it, but then she... Apparently the North Star is only Googled 75 it. million years old. Interesting stuff, for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Morgan. Um, owe you big time. <laughs> Whenever I get on Jeopardy, I will credit you. That could be fun. You would be, you would do well on Jeopardy. Do you like trivia? No. You're not well, a trivia I, I, I should say I like it, but I don't remember it well. Bar so trivia? I don't do well with bar trivia or Jeopardy. I love bar trivia, but I'm so bad at it. I do have a friend, um, Megan in Chicago, who... Um, asked me some Catholic trivia thing that she had on an app mm-hmm. she does every day to learn things. And I got them all right. No there were like five questions in a row. Was it said, like, stop asking the... me. Do you not know that I'm an expert? So he's like, who's the current Pope? And you're like, um, yeah, I mean, it was like, who's the saint who is known for reform and was Pope by age 25. Mm. And I was like, well, I just preached on that this morning. So, <laughs> Charles Borromeo. Charles Borromeo. St. Charles Borromeo started, that was kind of a fitting day because we just had the seminaries appeal and oh, they came on Charles Borromeo. Yeah, he was all about seminaries, right? Well, he's he a good started, one. I really like Charles Borromeo. <clears throat> the way that we do seminaries today is what he started. So, prior to that, if you wanted to become a priest, you would, you know, tell your local pastor tell a cleric or, or the bishop, I guess, if you had a relationship with him, which you probably didn't, um, and you manifest a desire, like, hey, I think I might be called to be a priest. But it was kind of like a, um, what do you call that? A, like a mentor program or a yeah, yeah. shadow program, or whatever those are called. Apprentice, that's the word I was looking for. Dynonychus. <laughs> Dinochus. <laughs> um, and you would live with that priest um, or whoever the bishop would want you to live with for you know, a year, two, three, and then maybe move or whatever. But they apprenticed, they, they would form you maybe in the studies, uh, but also the pastoral experience before you were ordained. And then more and more men were becoming priests and it just got out of hand where <clears throat> they didn't have the resources anymore. So what if they made a college, right? A, a place of formation, a seminary where you could go and be formed with multiple men. And so Charles Borromeo started what we now understand as the seminary system. There was also... Uh, a problem with the lack of education among clergy. They had become functionaries mm. who did sacramental stuff, but didn't know theology well. Yeah. And it was taken for granted that they didn't really need to a whole lot. You got sure. theologians in the monasteries and universities. And if you needed to, I don't know, know about things, if you needed an expert, you go to the monasteries or the, uh, the universities. But the average, you know, parish, village parish priest didn't really need to know a lot of theology. Well, at least that was, yeah, that was one of the problems. But the Council of Trent recognizes that this is a huge problem with the spread of uh, the Protestant um, Mm. kind of movement, was that theology was being spread and the local guys didn't know, you know, how to address it um, or how to judge whether or not this is sound. When did... um the majority of the population become literate. Do you know that by chance? Because I'm just thinking of like, no, the printing press is like 1450s, 1460s, depending on how you date that. Johannes Gutenberg, right? The Gutenberg printing press. Uh, And that allowed for like mass things to be printed, which allowed Mm. for books and and Bibles to be printed. And then newspapers eventually kind of following along where um, 
it wasn't like you had to write everything by hand anymore. So it be- everything became more accessible. And I wonder if that like also helped people become more literate. Uh, but Charles Borromeo, I wonder if he lived in a time because he was 16th century as well, wasn't he? 1500s, yeah, end of the 1500s, um, and w- which means like he was he pressed for the end, like let's finish the Council of Trent. Oh, I see. Okay, which yeah, the end of the 16th century. So, I, but it makes me wonder of like is, if he's living in a time where people aren't literate. The majority of people aren't literate, which means like priests are preaching to illiterate people. Which means um, not that they're they're less educated; they might be educated somewhat but if they're not literate then they're not reading scripture they're not reading books they're not reading theology so you're forming them more in the virtues i guess than intellectually and maybe some you know like catechesis maybe you had Mm -hmm. these sort of manuals that you could um yeah just learn from and then communicate but it's not the same thing as like pondering the theology and a common myth that is really annoying to me is that bibles were kept from the people they were chained inside the Catholic churches. They the Catholic chained. churches chained them there. Yeah, and in that kind of nonsense, <clears throat> people couldn't read. Like, so what are you supposed to do here? And the reason here's wh- the Gideon Bible. Right. Good luck. <laughs> Enjoy the I don't know the feel of turning pages and right. not understanding anything. And the reason why they were chained is because they didn't want people to steal them because it was before the printing press, so they were really hard to get. There was yeah. You uh-huh. had to have it, them hand copied, or by you, monks in monasteries. Yeah, yeah. Or like block printed, page by page, and they were like forty grand. That's insane. So you don't want somebody walking off with your forty grand in today's dollars or forty grands in? I think it was today's dollar. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't, and I'm not sure about that. For some reason, that comes to mind, but yeah. anyway. So another fun fact about the Council of Trent was that it required. They required every ordinary, like a bishop in a diocese, mm-hmm. to, um, or maybe not every ordinary, whatever, big dioceses, to uh, allot a certain amount of money to have a resident theologian mm. who was an expert that could inform the bishop in that diocese and yeah. also was required to teach the public. So your average lay people. Yeah. And... Um, we're now getting a theological education, usually mm. biblical. And I love that because I think spreading the word was terribly important. And it was important for the Protestant reformers, but also just general yeah. knowledge for the populace is useful for, um, well, I mean, it's good for education. It's just good for people. Mm-hmm. But then also in order for people to be able to reason soundly when faced with, you know, these kind of questions. So there you go. I don't know how we got over there. Charles Borromeo trivia. Pray for us. Um, biking. Why don't they make I, these? There's these little cartridges of CO2 mm-hmm. that you can fill your flat tire with, mm-hmm. or you replace the tube and put it in. I think it's one of the greatest inventions. Yeah, I don't use those. Oh really? Oh, yeah. you you carry a pipe. Uh, I carry pump. a small little pump. Yeah, hand pump. Uh, okay, right, right. Well, it's still a cool invention. Why don't they do <laughs> like a backrest on the seats? A backrest? Yeah. Oh, backrest. A backrest on every uh, bike seat. I well, because you be lean cool forward image. when you bike, you don't lean backwards. Is that right? Well, yeah. That's but, what a recumbent bike is for. Yeah, but it, why don't we just recum the? Recum <laughs> <laughs> every bike. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we went a long way today, and. It's like the difference between riding kinda, a Harley and a, back. and a, what are those called? Ducati. Mm. Wouldn't you rather ride a Ducati where you're like in the racing position and you're going to go super fast? Yeah, I get it. Ducati. I've always wanted a Ducati. Yeah, but if you're cruising cruising around the world, going long. Yeah, that's you what Harley Father games Will are for. Schmidt used to cruise around with his dad for months at a time around the country. Really? On the back of a Harley. Like when he was a child? Yeah, when he was a child. No kidding. And he was allowed one book at a time, and then he'd switch it out at gas stations. Really? Yeah. I so think he would he, read as they were... Yeah, as he was cruising the United States. No Isn't that kidding. amazing? That is amazing. That would That's a skill. Good for you, Father Will Schmidt. That's, that's wild. You're cool. And he's very, yeah, like a very educated, sophisticated. My dad's like pretty anti, anti-motorcycle. We never had anything... Anything really? resembling a motorcycle around the house. So is your cycling hobby and obsession a kind of act of rebellion? Well, it's funny. My dad actually, I shouldn't say like, 
he doesn't like anything because he's he actually does bike but he only mountain bikes he's like terrified to road bike because he's like really? car's gonna hit me i'm gonna get hit by a car i can't believe you'd bike up deer canyon i've driven up there and and it's scary when i see a cyclist i'm like what if i hit him <laughs> i'm like dad what if you hit a tree or a rock with your mountain bike over there yeah, he go, he takes the downhills extremely slow. <laughs> so, okay, all right. Well, I respect. You know, I do. I do mountain biker thing from safe. time to time. Does he wear a helmet? Oh yeah. Oh good. You know what's crazy? I was thinking about this. I can't remember who I was talking about this with, but it's funny. When I started skiing, my parents forced me to wear a helmet, right? Which I shouldn't say force. Like they they just had me, right? Like in a sense, force. Yeah, but yeah, like was, I was docile to it. But then when my, yeah, when my brother and I got old enough, we started asking our parents, like, mom, dad, how come you don't wear helmets? Ah. And then the next year they bought helmets. And I just thought that was so interesting of like in the 70s, 80s, when my parents, you know, start first started skiing, um, helmets weren't a thing. No one wore helmets. No, Even, like, no I mean, when I started skiing in uh, what must have been 90s. No one wore helmets? There wasn't helmets. Really? They didn't even exist, ski helmets. Really? Yeah. That's wild. I still am uncomfortable with one, but they're they're best. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get hurt. Yeah, you can get hurt. Are you getting excited about the season? I am and I'm not. Like, we had this huge snowstorm, like, last weekend of October, which is wild. Because then, like I said, today was, like, 70 degrees in Denver. But we got eight inches. It was, yeah, it was great. And it was, like, like Sunday mass. Like, it started Saturday night and went Sunday afternoon. Sunday morning mass was like completely dead. And then Sunday night mass at Lord's here, we had like more people than normal. Normally we get like close to 200. I think we had almost 300 people there. Uh, so not a huge increase, but about a hundred people increase. To avoid the snow? I think so. I think people kind of slept in and took it easy and then waited for the snow. Plastic I love the snow. I welcome this stuff. But uh, that day was, it was a little annoying because the previous I had raked leaves mm-hmm. and then i get them all into a pile but i gotta <sighs> run over to the church right so i was like yeah i mean i can leave them i'll get them tomorrow or whatever mm-hmm. and now they're soaked yeah and then they start to smell bad and oh man it's harder to bag they've dried out since though so oh yeah okay. i saw them today and i was like yeah i should do something about that <laughs> still didn't do it that's one of the downsides of living at the companion's house is that you don't have a maintenance team yeah. Whereas living at the rectory at the parish. Yeah, but it's a real house. You guys are spoiled. That's my point. Is like that's one of the downsides. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're not spoiled at the companion's house. But don't you want to like work the earth? I do some woodwork. There you go. That's not really working the earth, but and it's working with your hands. That's cool. That works too. Well, let's see. I don't know what else I want to talk to you about. Should we jump into a topic? I'm I have a, a question for you, but you're not going to want to answer it. Maybe okay. you are going to want to answer it. I'll just it. say no. I don't want to answer it. Aren't you training for something big right now? I don't want to answer it. All right. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do a triathlon later this month. Oh, you are? Yeah. So swim, you did. Swim, bike, run. You did answer it. Yeah. It's fun, man. Swim, I'm bike, run. Nervous. This is not your first triathlon, though. You did what? The sprint triathlon or the half triathlon? Or? I did a big half triathlon last summer but this one is like i'm afraid about cold water at this point in the year that's fair so i'm nervous you could just go to choose fitness well no that's not the same open <laughs> water man you can't do it oh for i thought you meant for training heated pool i thought you meant for training no, 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 i do for training you mean for the real thing yeah 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 but uh, you know i love this stuff it's gonna be fun what's a comfortable water temperature outdoors 80 i don't know temperatures Honestly, I saw that this, the water could be 61 degrees and I don't know if I should be spooked or excited or <laughs> that sounds comfortable. But you swim first? You swim, bike, run. So this is going to be at like 6 a.m. It's going to be early. I'm also wondering how that'll work. Is yeah. it going to be under the lights or something? What's the, imagine swimming in the dark. Oh, with, shar- with the great white sharks. It's lake, but... Anyway, yeah, I'm doing an event. I don't really love to talk about it. Uh, it sounds so like self-serving, self-aggrandizing. I don't know. Yeah, you're a humble dude. Nar- Narciss? Nar- Narcissus. Narcissus. Didn't he fall in the water? Do you know why he fell in the water? Because he got enamored with himself. Yeah, he? he looked at himself and like up until what, like 100, 150 years ago, a mirror wasn't really a thing. Like 
the yeah. the best image you could look of your, at yourself of yourself how would you phrase that is in the reflection of water yeah a still pond which is crazy so narcissus looked in the still pond looked at himself and said i'm in love with myself wanted to be with himself and yeah became obsessed so entranced that he fell over i guess maybe he got tired i don't know what it was but (laughs) he or maybe he wanted to embrace himself and so he jumped in the water that's the way i've always thought about it but i never read the story but it took him down man the cold water water was probably too cold (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um what else i guess can i jump into a topic i mean we eventually we gotta talk about some we can talk about we talked about charles borromeo and everything maybe we call it (laughs) (laughs) 20 minutes in uh how about this did you what do you have a favorite psalm i think my favorite psalm is probably psalm 103 specifically that's funny this is actually one of my all-time favorite bible verses i have two favorite bible verses this is probably the second one psalm 103 12 as far as the east is from the west so far i have removed your transgressions from you i just love that because i think of like how far is the east from the west it's infinite right like yeah if if you think it, like hypothetically speaking if the world was flat and maybe it is it's hard to know <laughs> just just kidding it is Adam, you speak for yourself um, we could have that argument <laughs> if the world was flat like east and west would be forever right like as far as the east is from the west and that's that's eternal and god separates our sins from us for eternity and that's like the most amazing gift of confession is that when you go to confession god forgives you and it's not like a week later he goes, hey, remember when you did that? Like, if you hear that, that's the enemy. That's not God. God would never say that. God moves on. He's like, yeah, I forgive you, like, for eternity. Yeah. I've moved on. And you're separated from that. You're free. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I wonder how that works with judgment, uh, finally. But I do think... Like final judgment? Yeah, does God forget them? Yeah, forget might not be the best word. But I remove them from, you know, as far as the east from the west. I do think there's something of that, you know, um, even with the judgment. But certainly now, I wish people, here's one thing in confession, and I can say this about myself too. I wish people would forgive themselves that way, mm. you know? There's a lot of people who kind of hold on yeah. and to that sadness and shame and regret. And mm-hmm. there's always something. I, th- I think there's, it's good. I think it's healthy if people will admit that they have regrets, that's right. just honest. So when you meet somebody and you're like, do you have any regrets? And they say, no, absolutely not. It's kind of like, well, either you're not taking things seriously or you're just trying to try and do hard to like, I don't know, convince yourself of something because hmm. most people do, but we don't have to be bound by them. Right. And they are separated as far as the East to the West. Well, I love it. That's Psalm 103. Here's one of my favorites. It's Psalm 131. Mm. It showed up in the liturgy this last Sunday, yesterday, and has been a favorite of mine for a long time. The 31st Sunday of Ordinary Time? That's it. Year A. Adonai Logava Livi, Velo Remue Enai, Velo Hilakti Bigdolot, Uvnifla Ot Mimeni. Hilakti. Yeah, he liked it. I don't walk. Um, oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. See, I'm kind of an anxious guy. And I I have ambitions, and they cause anxiety. Mm-hmm. When you say my goals are huge, then you, you live in this thing of, you know, can I achieve them? Mm-hmm. You know? um, but I think it's, on the one hand, it's like good to have goals, but then to not live with the anxiety i've got a triathlon coming up did i tell you that and uh, and it's a big project and so now i'm living in kind of a a fear and an anxiety am i ready am i gonna do yeah. okay what happens am i under trained am i over trained what happens if i don't am i gonna be ashamed of myself or yeah. in front of other people or feel like a failure i don't I have all this stuff that's like unnecessary but Anyway, this thing says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. 
I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a child quieted at its mother's breast, like a child that is quieted is my soul. Hmm. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So it's got these kind of two parts. The one is um, I'm humble and I'm meek and I want to live with peace and the quiet of soul. Part of that is I don't have these lofty eyes. I don't look for things that are beyond me. Uh, my heart is not raised up. I don't think myself too proud and I don't expect too much of myself. And um, I don't have these lofty goals. You know, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And then you say, well, that's nice, uh, a nice thought, but how can I stay in that mode? And the psalmist is recommending that you meditate on the idea of being a child resting in the mother's arms. Mm -hmm. you know? And this has in part been interpreted as um, an image, a maternal image for God, that um, God cares for us with that same profound care and, mm. uh, and like protection and uh, gentleness. And uh, also the church, you know, the church's mother and um, classically. So kind of like with life bringing all kinds of kind of challenges, some good, some bad, it's, it's important to stay tranquil and there's access to a kind of place of serenity in the presence of God. And even just the, the thought of being a child resting in his mother's arms is enough to bring peace in the midst of anxiety. Yeah. I tried it driving over here. I was like, oh, I have to podcast. I get nervous. I'm nervous. <laughs> and, um, and then other things. I got a busy day tomorrow. There's a funeral for a young woman and kind of like always feel a little bit insecure about, am I going to do this justice? What mm -hmm. should I say? All this stuff. And so I did a like 10 second uh, meditation of um, being a child resting in the mother's arms. And it was very peaceful, mm. you know, but life does present challenges that are good. You know, that God wants us to have a certain <clears throat> holy ambition Mm -hmm. That's the way that uh, Jerome refers to it, holy ambition. I like that. And we should want to be magnanimous. We should want to be great in ways. You know, the saints are great, and we admire their uh, their drive. But there's a challenge to balance that with I'm not pressuring myself, and I'm not living with the self-judgment and being competitive, looking around and saying, who am I better than or worse than, you know, and all of these things. and the way that we can avoid that sort of the terror that comes from ambition is to have the, just the confidence of God's got it. Mm -hmm. You know, God's got me, God's got, you know, my best in mind will give me the grace. And so this, yeah, this, this just image is, it's beautiful. It's profound. And it's been one of my favorites to calm me down because I've been anxious for, I don't know, as long as I can remember. Mm. Do you, so, are you a goal guy? Well, that's my question. Read the first verse or first two verses again. Yeah, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Yeah, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Like To me, that's a tension. And I like how you said, like, uh, uh, um, we have these... Uh, like desires to do great things. Absolutely. But, um, but saying like, don't set your eyes on that, but I don't know. Can you comment on like, shouldn't we, shouldn't we have ambitions? Shouldn't we like strive for ideals? Shouldn't we have things that are like, in a sense, too great for us of like, I strive for that. And if I missed right, <laughs> the whole phrase, um, shoot for the moon, and if you miss, you land among the stars. Ooh, I love it. That's so corny. And I, <laughs> but I get it. I mean. Right? Like, shoot for high things, and it's like, you're going to do okay. Yeah. But like, so what does it mean to not have your things on? Because I wrestled with this when I was praying with this this week. 
what I rested in is like the quieted. Like I love when my soul is quiet before the Lord and just like that's contemplation. It's just like Aquinas will define um, contemplation as tranquil abiding, just like tranquilly sitting with the Lord and abiding with him. And there's like, my soul is mm. quiet before him and he may not even be like speaking to me actively. Like the image for this is two old married people, um, you know, 50 years married, sitting on a park bench, watching the sunset, holding hands. They're not speaking to each other. They're just enjoying each other's presence. After 50 years, like they still contemplate each other mm. and the beauty of what's around them. So it's like, that's where I rest is like, okay, I want my soul to be quiet in the Lord, but shouldn't I also be ambitious and strive for ideals and strive for what is great? Yeah. I like the word strive because it means it's almost like hope. Um, but it doesn't also have that like expectation. It's like, keep moving, you know, hmm. keep moving. It's good to have a goal, but if your heart is clinging to that is attached. Sure. Then you're, you're headed for a lot of disappointment and hardship that's unnecessary. And, um, I don't know exactly what my eyes are raised high. It's a cool image, but the heart, mm -hmm. um, is haughty. It's, it's lifted up. It's, it's like my heart is in achieving that goal rather than the joy of the journey. Right. You know? That sounds corny too. <laughs> hmm. But you get over-focused on the goal as opposed to, um, just like pursuing the Lord. Like you just get so focused on like, if I don't get this, then I'm a terrible person. Yeah. Or it's like, um, yeah. And to remain a child, hmm. it's almost the same remain a child. So maybe it's like when you first put a trophy on the shelf, cause you, I don't know, your little league team beat the other team and you, you, you were champions and everything. It's like an awesome, awesome feeling. But then as your trophy case fills with all kinds of other things and bigger and bigger things, it's almost like you got to keep pushing for greater. Mm -hmm. And there's, so not only is there like a pressure, but there's also like um, a kind of haughtiness that comes along, a kind mm -hmm. of pride that says, I am great. Mm -hmm. And you walk around strutting like a peacock. <laughs> like, ah, I'm cool. You know, look at, I'm, look at me and, Instead of just the child being like, like, wow, you know, I did it or, um, I don't know, whatever it is. And maybe even looking for the approval of the, the parents, not approval, such so weird. Cause sometimes parents are like the force kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's quite opposite to the spirit of the Psalm. Correct. Like yeah. God has this huge expectation and you better get there or whatever. No, quite the opposite. It's just, you know, the tranquil abiding, just be with me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, yeah, I love this for the sake of uh, rest and rest in the midst of both life's challenges and, you know, strivings. You want to be the best parent you can be. You want to be successful at your career. You want to be, um, yeah, I don't know, achieving all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And the Lord offers and the church offers a place of rest. Yep. And then um, also in the spiritual life, like we've just said, you know, people can get really worked up about, am I doing enough? Yeah. And there's something just like, come and rest, come and rest. You know, the church is here just to um, give you peace, give you tranquility of soul. And a child quieted with its mother, child like a child quieted is my soul. Mm. That's even just the image of like, okay, that's, that's a goal. That's a goal for the Christian life. And, you know, for the psalmist, it's not bad to just be chill. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a push, push, push kind of guy. So that's part of where the anxiety comes from. Okay. They, we are, we're given this beautiful image of the church as a mother. And then the first, second, second reading, Ugh. which one? Second reading from the same uh, lectionary Mm -hmm. for Sunday Last 31st weekend, yeah. was first uh, Thessalonians. Um, this is Paul to the Thessalonians and listen to how he describes his apostolic Thessalonica. Yeah. To Thessalonica modern day Turkey. It is. It's an isthmus. 
Wow. So it Here has it has water on two sides. It's a port city. And um it was the place of a lot of licentiousness. Okay. And loose living and sin. Yeah. And St. Paul goes there to convert the people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like right. many of the cities. What are you trying yeah, to get me yeah, to yeah. say? No, I'm just curious about what you're going <laughs> to rattle off, man. You started down that road. And uh, like, first okay, Thessalonians is the first going? letter that St. Paul wrote. Yep. So it's dated what? 47 or 57? I don't know. I don't know. Um, wish I could tell you that. It, I think 47, if I'm not mistaken. Both letters are, are very interested in the concern that why are people dying? I thought we weren't supposed to die. Mm. Yeah, we're supposed to live forever. Right? Where's the resurrection? Yeah. yeah. And so he's kind of explaining that the Christian sleeps and things like, you know, the nature of the, the resurrection. But he's also saying like, okay, don't worry. Um, we're here. And let me explain to you that God has established a community. Mm. So this isn't just about like, let's figure out a method to fly off. And these apostles came along and gave us rules to, you know, perfect things or get things right with God. But actually he's trying to say like, okay, we're establishing a culture and a community. And there, he uses this character of the church as a mother Mm -hmm. uh, in a really beautiful way. Other places, Paul is going to say church is the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's going to talk about, we are the body of Christ. There's other images he uses, but here he says this, I'm going to read the, um, the whole thing from the lectionary. Okay. Okay. The first, this is first Thessalonians two, seven to nine and 13 brothers and sisters. We were gentle among you as a mother cares for her children. A nursing mother cares for her children. So it's just like Psalm 131. Mm. We were gentle among you as a nursing mother cares for her children. With such affection for you, we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves as well. So dearly beloved had you become to us. You recall, brothers and sisters, our toil and drudgery, working night and day in order not to burden any of you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. And for this reason, we too give thanks to God unceasingly, that in receiving the word of God from hearing us, you receive not only not a human word, but as it truly is the word of God, which is now at work in you who believe. Okay, so this is a kind of elaboration of what he considers the virtues of Mother Church mm. and um, the kind of ideal experience that a Catholic can have you know, these Catholic Christians, the Christians is from the, from the beginning of uh, Paul's writing, and the experience that they can have from their religious life. And I, I tried to promote in my preaching yesterday the sense of what, what, are, what is your relationship with the church? What is your relationship with religion? Mm-hmm. What are we doing here? And um, how can you experience this reality of our whole religious life? So when he's talking about the church, it's a complex reality. It, it involves the community as a whole, you know, all of the Christians, and the experience of interacting with that community throughout our religious life. It involves the, um, the waters of baptism where we receive life, like a mother who gives life through the waters. Mm -hmm. And um, we receive Jesus, the indwelling of Jesus, the way that um, a mother conceives. And and then the church caring for us, teaching us from um, from the word of God, from the pulpit, from our experience, and then especially feeding us with the grace of the sacraments. And so this whole experience of the church's mother um, is... Yeah, it involves kind of everything. And you can be asking yourself, if you're listening to this, how do I experience the church's mother? Hmm. Um, but here's some of the virtues that it extols. And I like to think when I was meditating on this one about how my sisters are becoming mothers or have become mothers in the last number of years. And I just love seeing them as mothers. Hmm. It's brought out a whole new kind of dimension of their character. And hmm. they're fantastic women. And, um, it's just a joy to watch them as mothers, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Hmm. And, and they have a lot of these characteristics. And so I'm coming to understand the church and with this metaphor by just watching, watching mothers, you know? 
first it says we were gentle among you as a nursing, nursing mother cares for her children. Yeah, the gentleness. And um, so hopefully your experience of the church is gentleness, that it's a place where you can go and be cared for and that you can come out of the storm and out of the harshness of life and the, um, I don't know, the difficulties of life. You, you know, you get bullied and then you go home to your mom and she's gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, and dad's like toughen up. You know? <laughs> <Mom> <laughs> no is, offense to dads, but yeah. it's true. She's gentle. And I think of like, you know, I want to hold the baby. I love holding the baby. It's just, it's just such a joy. I don't mm. know that there's any other joy like it. And, um, but I'm nervous because she's so gentle with the baby and I'm like trying, oh, I know, don't, don't, you know, uh, hold the head, hold the head or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of in a panic and my sister, she'll just put her hand on my shoulder and it's like, I'm the child she's being gentle with, you know, just to try to comfort you. It's like, it's okay. You're doing good and whatever. Um, yeah, the gentleness of the church, um, with such affection for you, we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves. Mm. So affection um, is like, my hope is that every Christian has this experience of being honored. You come to know yourself by, the, by your parents honoring you. They're telling you who you are. They're telling you who, the best of you. Here's the best of your personality. We love this about you. Um, not only does this, you can tell this, this or that about your personality pleases your parents. You know, you're fun, you're funny, you're uh, spontaneous, you're caring, you're, um, you know, you say things that are interesting, you're wise, you um, are thoughtful, you all these things, you know. So the affection is like, can you be honored? And if you're a person of prayer and you listen to the words spoken to you in the religious life, um, you should get a sense, a better sense of yourself and how awesome you are mm-hmm. and um, feel honored the same way. You know? um, I don't know. Have you ever felt like that? It's kind of easy as a priest because everybody's always complimenting you. Sure. But it's not the same thing. Yeah. But God can give you that kind of sense. And, um, and Mother Church, you know? I take a lot of joy from the, the, uh, the word spoken, the encounter with the word. Mm-hmm. Um, we determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves as well. So she educates. That's one of the, the chief roles of the church and of mothers mm-hmm. that they teach us. And yeah, we say the role of parents, right? Is procreation and education of children. Yeah. 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 To educate, which educare in the Latin means literally to, to lead someone like into something or lead someone out of something, but like, right. To take them on a journey, to take them to say, like, I want to teach you something and form you and, and make you into a better Christian in person. And yeah, you know, and I think of like my mom would read us the book of virtues and yes. uh, help with homework and, mm-hmm. uh, and then just teach by example. And, um, yeah. and with the church, my, the thought I had was especially with the saints, like I just learned so much from watching the saints and there's something of a purity of their example that I learn a lot from the theology of the church that's been passed down. It's so beautiful and so immense and fascinating. Uh, but then, yeah, I think I've gotten a lot of education from the witness of holy people that I've come to meet and also, you know, the saints, just mm-hmm. the stories of the saints. Okay. So she's um, educating us. And educating us on the gospel of God, which is hope. It is the good news of God. And so I hope that our experience of, and the experience of every Catholic is that we're being formed by the gospel of God, the good news. And my heart and my soul are, are becoming more confident with mm-hmm. faith, hope, and love in the good news that is proclaimed by Jesus and then passed on by the church. Okay, this, we, uh, we were determined to share with you our very selves. You recall, brothers and sisters, our toil and drudgery, working night and day in order to, uh, not to burden any of you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. So just that, that generosity, you know, the toil and drudgery, working night and day. Mm-hmm. You think of parents staying up with the kids. <laughs> you think of... Yeah. I had this thought of, 
there's probably so that every mass is praying for you and me and mm-hmm. every Catholic, yep. you know, um, and that there's probably a mass going on at every minute of every day throughout the world. Do you think that's possible? You think that's real? Fundamentally with time change. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Every minute, maybe every second. Do you think every second could that be possible or is that too many? There's some part of a mass going on, whether it's. Okay. But not like mass starting and then. Yeah, maybe not. But if you think about like, if every time zone has an 8 a.m. mass, which it likely does, yeah. then everywhere in the world, there's a mass going on at every hour. Yeah. Right. And then all these other masses and daily masses and all this stuff. And it's, it's a whole community of a billion people. I don't know if they're all practicing, but there's a lot of people praying for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can take solace in that. You know, if you're feeling, if you're not sure if what the church is, or you know, like if people care, you got people praying for you all over the place, night and day, with toil and drudgery at times, people offering penances and all kinds mm-hmm. of things. Um, and then just, you know, if you knew how a parish works, you would know that there's a lot of work that goes into it. <laughs> and a lot of people <laughs> like sacrificing things. Okay, finally... And for this reason, we too give thanks to God unceasingly. So the gratitude of a mother and the gratitude not only for the children, but um, just generally the church's fundamental voice spoken to God is the mass. That's the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. right? And it's just a spirit that the, the mother, the church, passes on her spirit to us. And it's a spirit of gratitude. It's, it's, it's really the mode by which the Christian soul lives and, um, and prays, approaches God, looks at God, you know, gratitude. Mm. So there's a list of extolling the virtues of, of the church. Yeah. Mother if, church, yeah. When you think of the church, do you, do you have a primary, like a favorite image? What, what would you call it? Metaphor? Yeah, image title? or metaphor, title, yeah. Honestly, that's funny that you bring this up because I've always done mother, the church's oh, mother. Really? So my whole master's thesis, my dis, my it wasn't really a dissertation. It's just like a 20-page thesis that I wrote for my master's, you know, which isn't even the thing. I don't know. Whatever. Anyways. It takes a lot of work. Those are like serious. I help the guys with those and it's, that's true, you it's do. profound. They're really engaging. I don't want to downplay it. It was, yeah. it was a lot of work, but... I took the line from St. Cyprian of Carthage, you cannot have God as father unless you have church as mother. Oh. And I took that and I just broke it down. So chapter one or section one was like, what does it mean for God to be father? Section two, what does it mean for church to be mother? And then section three, why are they inseparable and irreducible realities? And it was really interesting. It got a little philosophical more than I expected of just like, what's the essence of fatherhood? Like, what does it mean to be father? Like, why is God father? Mm-hmm. And then why is church mother? And how do those complement each other, right? But what does it mean to, like, what is motherhood? And part of what it means to be mother is to, like, biologically speaking, like a mother receives life within her, her very womb, and then nourishes it and nurtures it, right? Like, we're born from that. And so if church is mother, then we live inside her womb in some way. And she nourishes us, she nurtures us um, so that we can, you know, so that she's bearing fruit within us in a certain sense and that we can go and bear fruit. Like uh, you can take this metaphor analogy in many ways, but um, I think it's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're going here. I'm not positive on this. This could be a whole nother topic as well. But the concluding, like the epilogue, if you will, of my thesis was this is very ethereal to think of like church's mother. And therefore we turn to Mary because she's the archetype of the church. Mm -hmm. Mary embodies what the church is supposed to be. The church is striving to be who Mary is, which is immaculate, spotless, bride, mother, virgin, etc. Perfect yes to God. Yeah, that's what the church is called to be. That's who we are called to be. So like as we exist in the church, we strive to be more and more like Mary. And so like Mary's mother. And so it's like Mary's motherhood is the 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 pinnacle the archetype the the perfect um example of what the church is striving for who the church is striving for mm-hmm. 
So that's why I've always loved Mother. Uh, it's great. I'm. I was telling Father John this uh, this evening that it was kind of like I. This is pressing, so I want to talk about it, and it's really on my mind and in my heart. And um, but it's kind of a shame that I can't talk to him about it. Mm. I mean, you're great. <laughs> you're you're awesome. You're great. <laughs> but um, he's a Mariologist. But he just published a book on the Mary Church relationship um, that's inseparable. Which um, I'm sure he's talked about on this podcast. Yeah, that's right. That's well, right. More than once. So I did tell him I'm trying to, it's less theological and more sort of spirituality mm-hmm. of how can I relate to the mother and um, in prayer and in thought. So yeah. we don't get, I think we can get worked up as, you know, what is the church? Yeah. A bunch of rules, um, dudes wearing, you know, funny Pointy clothes, hats. Pointy hats. Um your grandma giving you know talking crazy about the three days of darkness and <laughs> our lady <laughs> like fatima online polemics yeah. and people arguing about things and there's all kinds of things that are not terribly inspiring mm-hmm. or, or peace giving and but the, essentially our experience of the church is yeah it's beautiful and can be this profound encounter and um and recognizing that there's this deep care for us mm-hmm. and and that's just real so it kind of moves you out of the i don't know what i'm relating to here into the, the reality of what yeah. the church is um yeah i was going to before i get to mary and we're kind of end with mary um just to make a kind of side note point that i henri de lubac introduced me to this idea of he wrote a book called the motherhood of the church in the school mm-hmm. and um that why did jesus choose men to be the priests his apostles and his priests yeah why can't women be priests yeah um but i like better why did he choose men mm-hmm. um because it's in service of his bride and the mother so it's the man serving the woman and the when the fall is reported in Genesis, it describes a competition that comes over the genders and the men and the women kind of in conflict, the male and the female families, all of these things and a kind of patriarchy. I don't want to make too much of that because it's so cliche in society and Mm -hmm. overwrought with criticisms of culture and origins and the church. But there is something of Jesus reconciles all things. Mm -hmm. And if there's contention between um, men and women that classically involves um, men expecting service from women, Mm -hmm. that Jesus has flipped everything and um, have uh, men serving this feminine church. And there's an appropriate kind of complementarity in that um, in that service, and in this kind of imagery of um, bride and, and groom, um, that makes it fitting that men should be the priests who are serving. Now we don't always act that way mm-hmm. of being a you know humble servants and, um, <clears throat> and caring for the church as the mother, caring for the church as the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. But really, that's you know that's what we're what our role is and mm-hmm. to adopt the spirit of this, uh, this maternal spirit that has the same virtues that Paul has extolled and says that this is what we did as apostles. We brought you the care, you know, the same kind of care as a mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a side note. Why did Jesus pick men? Here's maybe a possible okay. reason. And I think a beautiful one. Okay. Finally, uh, wait, can I say something? Yeah. Yeah. You never let me talk. I'm really just rattling off. <laughs> We biked, we biked for like eight hours and I probably talked for seven and a half of them. You were thinking the same thing. That's so funny. But here's the thing. I get so zoned out on these bike rides. You like, I don't know. You must be in like incredible shape or something. Cause like, it's like you don't get tired. Is it? I get like, when I get tired, I like stop thinking. I can't talk. I can't focus. I can't do anything. <laughs> and you just like kept going. I'm like, I was, I was so amazed. When the juices get flowing. My mind just says, 
Is that what it is? I think it is. Man. I think it is. <clears throat> when the juices get flow or like when I'm exhausted, like the juices just stop flowing. I just well, like, I, I become a zombie. I am in pretty good shape right now. I'm not always, but um, yeah. I appreciate and it. And I'm just a talker. Hey, I Say appreciate something. it. I learned a lot today. You shared a lot. It was great. We had I appreciate some your, good brother your listening too. I mean, I think it was, it was deep. Thank you. Um, St. Peter's Basilica, you've been there. Yes, sir. I've been there. I studied this pretty deeply before I went there, and so it was super powerful. The first time I walked into St. Peter's Basilica, I just like began, not inside, but just inside St. Peter's Square, uh, I just began to weep. Like It's just such a profound... Like mm. This is Mother Church. Mm. Uh, when we think of saying, like, uh, what is your mother tongue? It's like there's something about like the word mother and, and putting it in front of things. Like This is Holy Mother Church. This is the Mother Church of the Roman Catholic Church mm. or the Catholic Church as a whole, right? Like This is where the Pope is. And there's so much symbolism in that square in the Basilica that we could talk about that all points to St. Peter and, and different things. But two things. If you look at an aerial shot from St. Peter's Basilica, what does it look like? Well, it looks like a church from the top, and then it's got two arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so two points with this. One would be it looks like a keyhole as well. So it's like, well, Peter has the keys. Oh, really? Yeah, like one of those old skeleton cool. keys. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll look at this after. Right um, on. But yeah, one of those old skeleton keys, it, like, it fits perfect in there. And it's like, why? Because Peter has the keys, the keys to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, yeah, it looks like almost like the arms of the church. So the church and then the arms of the um, pillars of like, I don't know what it's you like call that. It's like a colonnade. Colonnade, yeah. But that it are, wraps around the square in front of the church. Yeah. So if you Google St. Peter's Basilica aerial shot, you'll see this. And what a lot of theologians and different people have said is like, these are the arms of Holy Mother Church pulling everyone in, in literally inside of her, in her womb, if you will, again, uh, her arms of all these pilgrims who come to visit and mother church saying, come to me, like, yeah, come to me that like you can be nourished and fed by me and nurtured and come to receive the sacraments. And I mean, that's Holy mother church. She yeah. loves us and she, she nurtures us. She educates us. She's generous to us and surrounds, surrounds us kind of like the, the wings of a mother mm. hen. <laughs> Love it. Can I do the mother hen? The mother hen. Is that all right? <clears throat> yeah, we hide in the wings of the... There's a couple of psalms about that, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, here's a poem from Gerard Manley Hopkins. Yes. On Our Lady. And as long as we're reflecting on, uh, you know, the feminine, the way that the church provides for us as a mother, and Mary as uh, the great example if we want to understand this we can look at mary um this poem by gerard man oh man you're looking it up i thought you were gonna have this memorized oh this one's kind of long though dude um and i love it but i have a hard time memorizing it. i'm not sure why um i'm just gonna read it it's got images of it's called the blessed virgin compared to the air we breathe and it's got imagery about how She's always there, how she's so humble that the light just goes through her, like the glory of the sun, the glory of God Mm. moves directly through her, that she uh, fills us with life and provides life like air does, and that she moves the sails of our journey Mm. toward its destination. So I'm just going to finish this with this poem. Love it. Is that cool? Go for it. The Blessed Virgin Mary, the Blessed Virgin compared to the air we breathe. Wild air, world mothering air, nestling me everywhere. That each eyelash or hair girdles, goes home betwixt the fleeciest, frailest flixed snowflake. That's fairly mixed with riddles and is rife in every light, least thing's life. This needful, never spent, and nursing element. My more than meat and drink, my meal at every wink, this air which by life's law my lung must draw and draw now but to to breathe its praise minds me in many ways of her who not only gave God's infinity dwindled to infancy welcome in womb and breast birth milk and all the rest but mothers each new grace that does now reach our race Mary immaculate merely a woman yet 
whose presence power is great as no goddesses, was deemed, dreamed, who this one work has to do. Let all God's glory through, God's glory, which would go through her and from her flow off, and no way but so. I say that we are wound, with mercy round and round, as if with air. The same is Mary, more by name. She, wild web, wondrous robe, mantles the guilty globe. Since God has let dispense her prayers with providence, nay, more than almoner, the sweet alms self is her, and men are meant to share her life as life does air. If I have understood, she holds high motherhood towards all our ghostly good and plays in grace her part about man's beating heart, laying like air's fine flood the death dance in his blood. Yet no part but what will be Christ our Savior still. Of her flesh he took flesh, he does take fresh and fresh, though much the mystery how, not flesh but spirit now, and makes, O marvelous, new Nazareths in us, where she shall yet conceive him morning, noon, and eve, new Bethlehems, and he born there evening, noon, and morn, Bethlehem or Nazareth. Men here may draw like breath more Christ and baffle death, who born so comes to be new self and nobler me, in each one and each one more makes when all is done, both God's and Mary's son. Again, look overhead, how air is azured, oh how, nay, but do, do but stand, where you can lift your hand skywards, rich, rich it laps, round the four finger gaps, yet such a sapphire shot, charged, steeped sky will not stain light, yea, mark you this, it does no prejudice, the glass blue days are those when every color glows, each shape and shadow shows, blue be it, this blue heaven, the seven or seven times seven, hued sunbeam will transmit perfect, not alter it. Or if there does some soft on things aloof aloft, bloom breathe, that one breath more earth is the fairest for. Whereas did air not make this bath of blue and slake his fire, the sun would shake, a blear and blinding ball with blackness bound, and all the thick stars round him roll, flashing like flecks of coal, Quartz fret or sparks of salt in grimy vasty vault. So God was God of old, a mother came to mold. Those limbs like ours, which are what must make our day star much dearer to mankind, whose glory bare would blind or less would win man's mind. Through her we, we may see him, made sweeter, not made dim, and her hand leaves his light, sifted to suit our sight. Be thou then, thou dear mother, my atmosphere, to wend and meet no sin. Above me, round me lie, fronting my forward eye, fronting my froward eye, with sweet and scarless sky. Stir in my ears, speak there of God's love, O live air, of patience, penance, prayer, world mothering air, air wild, wound with thee, in thee isled, fold home, fast fold thy child. That was awesome. Isn't that great? I like that. <clears throat> Comparing Mary to the very air we breathe. Like yeah. she's everything. Um, of course, Jesus is everything. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, yeah. But she's she's the it means. It comes through her. Yep. She's the means by which Jesus becomes incarnate, and she's also the means that then we can have access to Jesus. Right. This is. Oh man, this is reminding me a lot of my thesis. This is so great. Uh, my open like introduction to to the thesis was just like this is the byzantine church architecturally speaking they'll have an image of uh jesus christ the um, pantocrator pantocrator however you want to say that uh the untouchable jesus who's untouchable in the dome uh because he's way up there the dome represents eternity represents what is above us what is untouchable and then in the apse where the dome heaven meets earth uh, the people, the apse is always an image of Mary, the Theotokos, that only we have access to the untouchable, to Jesus, through Mary. Like, I love that. That's yeah. so, like, concrete and so beautiful. And Mary's the very airy breathe. I love that. Through the sky. What is the title? It's the, the one who contained that which the whole universe could not contain. Mm. You know, Our Lady. Okay, that's everything.
Thanks, Father Mike. You got it. You got any shout outs? You got any later? Um, see you later. <clears throat> I'm sure I have shout outs, but I forget about them. Okay. So I'd like to shout out the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> the classic Father Mike shout out. Well, I'll just leave it that, that same way. I'm just very grateful for the church and all mm. that she's given me and continues to. And I just encourage everybody to, to meditate with that image and ask yourself how you've experienced the church as your mother. Amen. That's it. Good night, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Peace. Peace.